sometimes God is doing something that we're not willing to wait on. Uh, Tanya, I don't know if we can do it right now, but can you shoot the picture up there of Danny? In the first day, and you've never given your life to Christ to be your Lord and Savior, in just a few minutes, I'll give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian and you've never followed in baptism. This morning when I give an invitation, I encourage you to come and say, Brother Greg, I'm a Christian, I know Christ, but I need to be baptized. We'll celebrate that and plan that with you, okay? So I praise God that sometimes things happen, but they may not happen as quick as we want them to. God teaches us patience. One writer said it this way, patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, found seldom in women. This morning I read that and said it just like that, and someone said, don't be looking at me. Listen, found, let me read it again. Patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, found seldom in women, never in a man. You know why? We're always in a hurry. We're always in a hurry. The great New England preacher Philip Brooks was noted for his poise and for his quiet manner. At times, people thought that he would suffer uh, moments of frustration and irritability, and he would just kind of snap. So one day, a friend, as only a friend can, asked him, as they watched him pacing the floor like a caged lion, what's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? And his response was, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry, and God is not. And brothers and sisters, patience is when I learn to trust God. Let's pray together. Lord, would you have your way in the next few minutes? We'll never get it back. So God, Lord Jesus Christ, King of glory, I pray for every Bible-preaching church this morning, every pastor who's faithfully proclaiming the Word of God. I pray for every missionary who's preaching and sharing and living, Lord, to tell your story. I pray for every evangelist, every revival that might be beginning this morning. Lord, we pray as your word promises, we claim it will not return void. We, we take it seriously. Eternity is in the balance. This group may never get together again as we are. So, Lord, we thank you for the privilege. And this morning, I pray that you would help me, help us with the problem of patience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amos chapter 8, if you've been following along with us, there are nine chapters. If the Lord tarries and we're here next Sunday morning, we look to conclude our study in the book of Amos. And I hope that some of you from this point on in your Christian life would be able to tell some folks what the book of Amos is about. It's about the judgment of God on the enemies of God, but also on Israel. And how God chooses this insignificant guy, this farmer, this, this shepherd, to bring a message that's unpopular in a day that needed it greatly. Now, as we begin this message, I want to remind you that we have a privilege this Tuesday to do something that many nations do not have the privilege to do. I better not hear anybody gripe in this church that does not vote. So let's do our duty. 
Let's get to the poll. Uh, and I've heard this, folks. I, I'm, I'm tired of it, uh, that, that we need to separate our, our faith from our politics. When I go to the voting booth, I do not leave my faith in Jesus Christ outside. So do what needs to be done. Let's do our civic duty and vote. And let me tell you this. Look at me. Let's also love people who disagree with us. You're not going to win a political argument across the lunch table at work. Love people in the name of Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that he chooses Amos to bring a word. Because I think Amos kind of represents us. Uh, You know, when you think about patience, uh, I don't care what the world says. I love Preble County. I I love Tulane T.W.O. Lane, 127 and 725. I love to step out of the fast lane and get back home. There's nothing like it. But I'm telling you, the world wants to keep you in a four-lane, four-lane highway all the time at record pace looking for the next thing. Well, Amos gives us a clear word. I'm going to give you three simple points this morning, and I think they'll help us understand this passage. So read with me, Amos chapter 8, verse 1. If you're with me, say amen. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail. When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. Do you have a problem with patience? In this passage this morning, Amos gives us a vision of the summer fruit. The harvest of the summer has come in. And sadly, the picture signifies the end of God's patience. The end of God's patience. The other night we were at, uh, I I won't name them, but we were at one of our relatives' house that have two little boys. And they're the two smallest little boys in our family. And they were having a big football game, and Kobe was playing, and they were getting ready for bed. He did not have a shirt on. They were kind of having this little game where I was pitching them the football. And, and, uh, you know, when you're a papaw, you always pitch it to where the littlest guy can always get it. And they were, they were going at it, and I flipped the ball to them, and Kobe just ripped it out of Jordy's hands, and it made him mad. 
And when he gets mad, he grits his teeth. And his dad started to say, Jordy, Jordy, as he made his way toward Kobe and that shirtless back standing there by the wall. Jordy, don't do it, don't do it. And he took his palm and slapped him as hard as he can right in the middle of the back. Now, I don't care if you're a papal or not, that would sting. But you know why he did it? He knew it would. He knew it would, and he was willing to face the consequences for not obeying dad. And I began to think about him as a little boy and your kids and grandkids and our church kids. A lot of times in our Christian life, we're willing or we think we're willing to handle the consequences for that moment of glory, which we think disobedience will bring. And brothers and sisters, here's what God is saying in this passage to Israel. It's over. No more. No more. My patience is up. Now, before we think that God is a careless, loving God, or a, a careless God who does not love us the way the Bible portrays, make sure we understand something. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, the Scripture says. So God's desire is for you to go to heaven. God wants you to go to heaven. Jesus died for you. But God loves you so much, he doesn't make you, even though he could, drive us to our knees anytime he wanted to. He makes his offer of forgiveness available. And the Holy Spirit moves and convicts and draws Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, Brother Greg, I can't explain what God's doing in my life. I can't put it into words. I'm going to tell you that the Holy Spirit often operates that way. I mean, when I give an invitation, is there conviction about your relationship with God? When, when you hear a testimony, uh, does it convict you about where you are in your own walk with God? Uh, in this passage, the Bible says, uh, after they evaluate the summer fruit, the word of God to Amos says, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. So when you think of, of lack of patience, when you think of needing it, when you think of how do you extend it to other people, I really believe we want it with all of our heart. We recognize we need it, but I believe we do struggle with it. Um, people that don't have patience normally are self-absorbed with their own life. People with a lack of patience often think their time is more important than yours. People with a lack of patience seem to live a rushed life. Now listen to what the Bible has to say about patience when it comes to God. Romans 15, 5. May, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. So the book of Romans says, be patient with one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes to this church, remembering without work, the working, the ceasing of your faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in Jesus Christ. He tells the young preacher boy, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness Godliness, faith, love, patience. 
and gentleness. The Hebrew writer tells us, don't be sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then you get to the book of James. Listen carefully. James chapter one, verse three. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, if that's true, why is it so easy for believers to quit serving the Lord when life gets tough? Uh, Jenny Owens is a blind singer. Some of you might be familiar with her. She sings a song called, I'll Walk Through the Valley If You Want Me To. And it talks about, in essence, her testimony of how her eyesight is what God has used, listen, not to push her away from him, but what God has used to draw her close to himself. Do you know that patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit? It's an evidence that Christ lives in your life. So the next time you find yourself impatient with your spouse or your parents or your kids or your siblings or your coworkers or your co-students or, or wherever you are in life, ask the Lord to help us to take a step back and Lord, help me to remind, be reminded of how important patience is as I follow you. He also writes this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.16. For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering. Long-suffering is the same term in most of the definition when you look at patience. As a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for eternal life. As a pattern. Now when you look at Amos chapter 8... He says that a basket of fruit, a basket of summer fruit, what do you see? He says, this is it. This is, this is the overflow. This is the harvest. Only to hear the words from the Lord say, the end has come. The end has come. So I want to give you three points. Here's the first one this morning when you think about this issue of patience. The first is this. There's a season and the season is brief. The season is brief. The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes there's a time for everything. There's a time to plant. There's a time to pluck. What is planted? So I ask all of you this morning, what season are you in this morning, right now? Let me name a few of them. For some of you, you're in the season of being a student. You know, years ago that might have just meant kids and teenagers and college students, but today it can mean an adult. For some of you, you're in the season of a, of, of a graduate. You've graduated high school, or maybe you've graduated college, and you're the, that young pro, that college and career. For some, you're in the season of being married, some of you with children and some of you without children. For some of you, you're in the season of parenting kids and parenting teenagers. You know, when I've looked back over my preaching schedule over all these years, I noticed that there was a deathly silence on teenage parenting when our kids were teenagers. I had all the answers until then. For some of you, you're in the season of an empty nester. Grandparents, maybe. Watching the cycle perpetuate one more time. 
For some of you here today, you're in a season of uncertainty, a season of the unknown, a season of unrest, and I guarantee there are some people here today that are in a season of waiting. You're asking God to do something, and you're waiting on him to move. I'm telling you, the waiting rooms of life are not in vain. One preacher said this past week, uh, God's delays are not always his denials, but I have to be willing to take him at his word and trust him. Why? Because the season is brief. Now, I want to encourage every young parent sitting here this morning. Those babies do not stay babies forever. Anybody want to say amen, parents, moms, dads? They don't stay babies forever. Cody, they don't stay in elementary school forever. Remember what a big deal it is when you have multiple kids and the last one gets out of diapers? Remember that? That was like, yeah. And Renee's like, you've never changed a diaper in your life. What do you mean? Yeah. But you remember those big accomplishments? Remember going to, uh, uh, I'm coming to the school on the 21st for some kind of uh, kindergarten program. And I, and I think to eat lunch with him, I think. Only because no one else is available. But I'm going. And I want, I'm glad, I'm glad to go. But remember those little lunches that you used to go with the kids or the programs that lasted uh, about three minutes and, and then you go home. Remember what a big deal that was and it still is? Are you, anybody with me? Hey, I remember what a big deal of going to church used to be as a kid. Listen to me, mom and dad. Listen to me, parents of teenagers. They still live in your house. Be a mom and dad and love them enough to put them in a position to hear the word of God. A lot of times people want to blame the church for, for you didn't meet the need of my kid. Well, the truth is you never brought them. And here we are this morning when you think about seasons, recognizing that here we are in November, where has 2022 gone? Another year has come and gone, and, and, and here in Preble, the, the, the harvest is in in most places. What have we done in the season in which God has given us? Now, here's my prayer. You know how we talk about Brother Armstrong and, and Brother Metters? Uh, boy, for those of you that did not know him, he was a hoot, wasn't he, Beulah? Uh, <laughs> just country to the nth degree. Everybody loved him, his wife. You know how we thank the Lord for them and their faithfulness? If the Lord tarries, I pray it would be said of us that we thank God back for those that served in 2022, that they were faithful to the call of God on their lives. I thank God for you grandparents that have stepped in to help your kids and bring their kids to church. So when you think about the, the, the love of God and the long-suffering of God, listen to me. Jesus is coming. Life is brief. The Bible says it's a vapor. Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 55 verse 6, 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We are reminded that the season is brief. But you see something else in this passage. Let's look at verse 2. The back end of verse 2 says, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them any more. Number two, the sentence is sure. The sentence is sure. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. I've met them, and you've met them as well, folks that don't believe anything about the Bible. This stuff that you're talking about, this fairy tale that you Christians believe in, preacher, is fine for you, but not for me. Let me tell you what that person is praying. They're praying all right. They're praying that when they die, God's not going to be there. But you and I as believers believe the Word of God says that when we die, God will be waiting be waiting. And until then, God has a work for us to do. But make sure you understand something. The sentence is sure. The end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. Israel had failed to live the covenant of God and the covenant that God had established. Now, mark your Bible and let's go to Exodus chapter 20. If I say Exodus chapter 20, I want you to say something to, back to me. I'm going to say Exodus 20. Cody, you're going to say what? The Ten Commandments. That's right. You ready? Exodus 20. Say it again. Exodus 20. The covenant that God had established. Look at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. That's what Israel would struggle with. Even in the kingship, the Bible would say there would be a king after God's heart, but then go on to say, but he didn't remove the high places, places of false worship, false gods. Look at verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, a graven image. Okay, you know what he's saying? Don't worship a statue. Don't worship a totem pole. You worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Look at verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Everybody look at me right here, right now. If Jesus Christ has changed your life and has saved your soul, your speech should reflect what Christ has done to you. I'm not saying there's not a time, uh, there's not a time it slips. When Lewis passed away, someone told, told a story, Lewis Jones told a story about Lewis. I think it was Jerry Price. And Jerry said he never heard Lewis cuss as a farmer. He said, now I saw him smash his hand, and he spelled it out, but he never said the word. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Our speech, listen, the lost world do not flinch when the lost world talks lost. But our hearts should break when a child of God feels like 
it's cool to use bad language in a world where it's acceptable wherever you go. I thank God I have a dad who taught me that you did not have to use improper language ever to be a man. And when he did cuss, I thought Jesus was coming back. I, I really do. I really do. And, we, and you go to work tomorrow and maybe somebody could care less. Well, let me tell you something. You care. And you may not be able to change the heart of the person doing the talking, but you know your heart. And you live for Jesus. Listen, don't have any, don't, you shall have no other gods. God's a jealous God. You're either all in or not. Don't make for yourself the graven image. Don't create some image of God and worship it. You know, some folks worship the crucifix. I believe the crucifix is a picture of Jesus on the cross. He is no longer on the cross. He is risen from the grave. Amen? That's good news. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I put a note out uh, this weekend that said, church on Sunday is a Saturday decision. Anybody wake up about 3 o'clock this morning thinking it was time to get up and get going? Man, isn't it interesting what an hour will do? It's crazy, isn't it? It might be dark by the time we finish this service. I'm not sure. But then again, when you look at the commandments of God, the first four deal with our relationship with God. But look at the rest of them. Honor your father and mother. You should not kill. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not lie. You should not, not covet. All of those deal with your relationships with people. So here's what Israel was not doing. They were not living like they loved God. They were not living like they cared about other people. And that's why, go back to Amos, that's why you see in this passage, they begin to talk about trading and selling and oppressing the poor. That's exactly what they were doing. Now something takes place, look at verse 3, in the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day. Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. Listen, imagine this. The place of worship becomes a place of silence. Oh, no, the Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But yet here it becomes a place of silence. Why? Verse 4, you who swallow up the needy, And make the poor of the land fail. Israel had taken their eyes off God, and when you take your eyes off God, most likely you will begin to take them off people. That's what was taking place. Silence would reign in the land. Verse 5, saying, when will the new moon be passed? that we may sell grain. The picture here is they want to treat this time as a celebration, like a festival. But yet it was nothing but greed that they wanted, that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales of deceit, dishonest gain, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. We're even going to sell uh, the wheat with the chaff mixed in. God says it's finished. I'm done. 
And then we get to verses 7 through 14. And verses 7 through 14 help us understand what's coming. When you look at verse 7, the Bible says, The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, by the pride of Israel, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this, and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son. Like a parent who's lost their only child. And it's in like a bitter day. Number three, the summary is clear. The summary is clear because we get to verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land. Listen, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. The summary is clear. We live in a gospel-saturated nation. You can go home today and watch literally a good message from somewhere on your television, most likely. You can search the internet today and find the gospel all over the place. But it's almost as if there is a famine in hearing the words of the Lord. More Bibles than we can count, probably stacked on our shelves somewhere in our home. But there's a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. People are looking. People are searching. They're looking for significance. They're looking for contentment. They're looking for some kind of peace and joy, and they're looking in counterfeit places. I mean, how futile would it be, church, to continue to have meeting after meeting, practice after practice, class after class, service after service, and no word from God. No light in the darkness, no food for my soul, no direction for making decisions, no protection from what's in front of me, always seeking but never finding. The summary is clear. The Bible says they shall wonder in verse 12 from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. So, here we are. Here we are. Thank God for his mercy. And in his mercy, he is long-suffering and patient not willing that any should perish, but that we should come to repentance, that we should know God and recognize that he is a a life changer. And he's in the business of putting broken pieces back together. When I was little growing up, uh, I I used to draw in school. I I used to, that was just a little hobby. 
So I'd usually have some kind of a drawing pad, and I would sit, just sit down and, and get a picture of something and just try to draw it. And, and most of the time, it was not that close. But I tried to duplicate what I was looking at. And brothers and sisters, if you and I spend the rest of our lives as believers trying to be somebody else, we're going to fall way short and we're not going to be satisfied. But when you decide to let Jesus Christ be the pattern for which you're following, that's where you're going to begin to, that's when you're going to begin to taste the good fruit from the summer. And, and you're going to begin to feel complete and recognize that there's contentment like you never knew because of the love of God. I don't know about you, but, I, and I do appreciate the birthday greeting. Um, but man, 61. Back nine, fourth quarter. Way more behind me than in front of me. Look at me. Look at me. My dad turned 85. Has struggled the last few weeks physically like I've never seen him struggle. But thank the Lord he had a good day yesterday doing a little better. We're all getting older. Look at me, every one of us. I don't want to live the fourth quarter of life in fear of what's going to happen. Let's make a decision this morning, Mark, to live the fourth quarter of our lives together, trusting the one who's going to take care of us. When it comes, Cody, to the end of the school day of my life and the bell's about to ring, he knows when that day is. He knows when that moment is. If I'm worrying about it, I'm living beneath my privilege as a Christian. I'm going to trust him and praise him, and the day he calls me home, and listen, the day he calls you home as a believer is the day you, you will look into the face of the one who loved you more than anything. I mean, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't we cling to and pray to hear that? But folks, let me tell you something. It will never, ever happen if you've never come to the cross and recognized your need for Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. That's the first step. That's the first place you need to be, recognizing that, man, I, I have a need. That preacher says we're all in trouble. We are. We're all in the same boat. And I praise the Lord for his loving mercy and his faithfulness and his long-suffering that's allowed us to come and meet here today right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you know you've given your life to Christ. You've surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank God for saving you right where you sit. Thank him for saving you. 